0: Come, on, come, on, come on. This just in, you're watching the Noah Davis WatchCast, with your host, Noah Davis, talking to you about anything he's watched for the previous week. Okay, alright, you know, I like to change it up with the WatchCast introductions, so that's this week's. Let's get right to it, because i watched a lot of stuff, like I always do. First up, DC Showcase Death in the Family. I talked about the DC Showcase shorts and their Tomorrowverse line last week, and I could have sworn I had watched every single DC animation, but I was wrong because I'd never seen Death in the Family as I always thought it was the Red Hood. And it is? Because I started it and the first 30 minutes is a recut, rehash, redo of the Red Hood movie for no reason whatsoever. I honestly have no idea why they did it. They reused exact animations and the same voice work maybe they added some, it used so much of the same that I couldn't even tell if anything was new so that's such a weird thing to start an animated short anthology with a recap of a previous animated movie I'm I'm very and thoroughly confused on the whole thing on this whole first part but if you get past that part, which luckily I did, you'll find an amazing collection of shorts. I maybe my favorite collection. Maybe I, it's hard to it's hard to tell you it's my favorite because the last I think it was the Book of Horrors or the Constantine kind of one, whatever that title was. I absolutely adored that one, but these give it a run for its money. Whether it's the Dope animation, the awesome art direction, the actual animation direction that makes it feel alive and feels whole as a product in itself. There is plenty to write home about about these shorts that aren't the Red Hood short, of course. I'm just not going to say that anymore. I'm just going to let you assume I'm not talking about the Red Hood re-edit. There was a... Sergeant Rock and Creature Commandos was, it was pretty good. Maybe not my favorite, but it was pretty good at having a nice humor about it, introducing that team and how that team, I, you know, it, I think it's a good look at what that team is going to look like in James Gunn's animated TV show of them, because it's kind of odd that we'd get an animated version of them and then we're going to get an animated version of them again. Maybe it's not odd, maybe I'm just overthinking it, but it is noteworthy, I guess, that we've already seen this team in animated format, and now we're going to get a full animated series with them, but that wasn't even the best short. There was an Adam Strange short, which was absolutely astounding, could not recommend it more, I love that feel and vibe it had in the story that it presented in such a short amount of time, absolutely amazing especially the art style that was an homage to just retro comics and of course Adam Strange and you know Strange Adventures what have you. Then there was the Phantom Stranger one which was fine. Uh, it had a more, I assume it was on purpose because it's the same you know Warner Bros animation and a more Scooby-Doo vibe. It was set in the 60s and had fake stoners and hippies and it was it was cool. You know, not my favorite short, but it was cool. I really liked what they were doing. I really liked what they did. I just, it, it didn't blow me away like the Adam Strange one and the Death one. They had a Death one, which was great in itself. Almost as good as the Adam Strange one. Maybe better for different reasons. Maybe more of an emotional pull or hook. It's way better. But for a fully realized and utilized character, I think the Adam Strange one was better. It doesn't matter. Adam Strange and the Death Shorts more than made up for the shitty Red Hood. Or, you know, <laughs> maybe not more than made up, but they did make up for the shitty Red Hood re-edit. And the Phantom Stranger was just kind of a bonus. Well, along with Creature Commandos. But, again, Adam Strange and the Death Shorts, absolutely fantastic. Love the animation, love the style. That style really works as the new style or, you know, in comparison to the new style that I harped on last week, doesn't really work for me personally. So I think now I can file this under, I've seen every single one of these. I'm pretty sure I've seen every single DC animated movie other than, you know, the child specifically for children movies. They had those. Justice League Adventures, I think that's what it was called, where there was almost nothing for an adult to grasp. But, you know, I, I I will say I haven't watched those. But I've seen every other DC mainline DC animated movie. I don't know if I'm proud of the fact. I'm just stating it. Next up, High Rise the movie. A friend and I read High Rise the book, and we thought it was weird, peculiar, but still pretty good. And then we decided to watch the movie, and... I don't even know what to say exactly other than the fact that why do producers and directors and writers get this I don't I don't even know what to call it this inclination this drive to adapt something but not adapt it accurately. I realize you can't adapt a 300 200 page book into a movie 100% I think everybody realizes that yet when you start cutting this character and cutting that character and fusing that character with another character from the book, thus completely changing some moral standings and plot points, it gets a little weird, especially when specifically this book has three different perspectives. Yet the movie has one, maybe two. So again, you're not even getting the delivery right on top of the fact that you're messing with the plot and the character motivations and how they deal with the high-rise apartment. It's, it's really odd that producers and directors and writers and whoever is in charge of this hate accurately adapting something because my theory is that if you accurately adapt something, you will have people who will defend you No matter what you do, as long as you accurately adapt something, fans of the book will like the adaptation. Yes, there will be some people who are fans of the book that are like, oh, it wasn't 100% perfect, so it's terrible. But that's not a huge majority. Look at Lord of the Rings. It's adapted pretty well. Yes, it cuts some things. It cuts a lot of things. But it gets the plot points, most of the character decisions, most of the character development, accurately. So you have people that will forever recommend those movies because they are a somewhat accurate depiction of those books. And we'll take it even a step further and not compare it to a perfect, you well, know, you know what I'm saying, an amazing movie trilogy like Lord of the Rings. I'll take it to Watchmen. Yes, the Watchmen theatrical release wasn't perfect or anything by any means, but the Watchmen Ultimate Edition is almost a shot-for-shot adaptation of the graphic novel. Whether you like Snyder's style or writing or just little minor changes he did, it doesn't matter. It's almost shot-for-shot, and I will defend the Ultimate Edition until I die. You know? I will always say, hey, that's the most accurate adaptation of Watchmen I've seen. It's better than the theatrical cut. It changes one thing, one big, well, you know, it's a pretty big thing, but it changes one big thing, yet it is accurate to the graphic novel. And that is why I will defend it. So you see, there is a base of people who will defend adaptations. You can change things. I'm not saying you can't change anything. I'm saying you can't change literal motivations from the, begin- from the get-go. And then fuse different characters into other characters. And pretend that that's going to have as much of a lasting impact. As those characters originally did in the book. The popular book or property that you're adapting. It feels ass backwards to me. So yeah. Back to the movie High Rise. It changes a lot of things that I don't understand. It changed the delivery of some things. It even acknowledged the third person-ness, but I could have sworn the narrator was just a detached third person in the book. The movie decides to make it literal and have the main guy talking third person, and it's odd. It's odd because the you'll know that the book has three different narrators from three different points of view, or one narrator from three different points of view. And it doesn't make sense when you do that in the book. And this book is riddled with internal dialogue. So the movie does the thing where it's trying to force internal dialogue onto external dialogue. And it never really connects. It never really hooks itself. Whereas if you just had the Lang character, who's quote unquote, the main guy, if you had Lang simply do the things he's thinking about or Act as though he's thinking the things he's thinking about. That would be a much more accurate adaptation than forcing a, I think it was a clerk, a grocery store clerk into providing us inner monologues that Lang had in the book, but being an external conversation. It's, it's really weird. And then they cut off some, cut out some things yet left some things in that didn't really need to be there it's, it's, it's all kind of odd and the choices they made in the movie don't really reflect the book that well. So I feel like one of those people who are like, Oh, the book's way better, but it's it's not that the book's way better. It's that the movie doesn't even really do anything different and yet still butchers the book. You know, (laughs) I think that makes sense. It's just not a great movie. It really lost me towards the end because it was clear this was not the book, yet it was trying to be very accurate. In the first few scenes, I thought it was going to be 100% accurate. I loved the feel, loved the look, loved their interpretation. And then it took maybe 20 minutes before everything else started setting in. My actual criticism started setting in. So I don't know. Books, pretty good. Movies, not good. Then I watched Over the Garden Wall with my friend. I don't think there's anything to say. It's my second or third time watching it. Perfection. Nothing bad about it. I refuse to say anything bad about it. Even if I thought anything bad about it, I refuse to say it. Because it's such a perfect ode to old Disney and old animation where everything's musical, but everything can get real fucking scary real quick and people can... Feel like they get murdered in a second, but then go sing in the next scene. That's just, there's something to that. And the style, the actual animation, art direction, even the backgrounds give you this feel of classic and, you know, animated, I keep saying Disney. I know there are other studios out there doing similar things, but you know what I'm saying? It's that classic Disney feel, whether it's the thick brush strokes on the backgrounds and the thin lines on the characters making a certain, they stand out more. There's an artistic variation where the characters are clearly not the background. And that just only serves animation better when characters can stand out with the background, yet the background is beautiful in itself. And that's, uh, there's nothing bad about this show. Absolutely amazing. It's a mini series, 10 episodes, like 12 minute episodes. You can finish it in two hours. Do it. Do it now. Quit this podcast and watch over the garden wall. All right. Next up, Guardians of the Galaxy 3. I didn't see it in theaters. So wait for the Disney Plus release. Watched it with my friend. That's a great movie. It may not be a perfect movie, and it may not be my favorite MCU movie, but it is a great movie that provided a ton of character development for Rocket. It scared me. Well, you know, maybe not like, terrified, but it scared me in the fact that it's about as scary as you can get in the MCU without going R-rated. There were, there were specific situations where I think there was a bit too much gore for a PG-13 or a Marvel movie. I know that's weird to say, but I think there was a bit too much gore, a little too much body horror, but it wasn't humans. So it doesn't matter apparently. And sensors are okay with that. And because there wasn't blood everywhere, again, the sensors are okay with it. And I'll never understand that because the things in this movie are much scarier than sometimes blood is. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know how to put the feeling i had or the feeling of dread i had in this movie other than to compare it to made in abyss when there's the uh, the bondrud character who's trying to make all the technology if you know made in abyss you know it's fucked up and you probably shouldn't watch it if you have just a, a clean mind you know do not watch that show if you don't want to be um you know, traumatized isn't the right word but the the light version of that Whatever the light scarred Let's just say scarred Because it's a lot And this movie gave me those vibes So if that tells you anything about Guardians of the Galaxy 3 And some of the vibes it gives off You know That, that, that should be that should tell you enough Now when it's not Rocket It's still a funny romp of a ride You know you, you got the quips You got the Guardian The MCU quips The Whedon quips Whatever you want to call it You know What have you Man, I keep saying, I said what have you like three times in my last episode or my other podcast episode. And now I've said it twice in this one. I don't know what's up. What have you is just the the phrase of the week. Okay. So back to the movie. The High Evolutionary. Absolutely loved him as a villain. Probably one of my favorite MCU villains to date. Maybe top three. I don't know the other two, but definitely top three. Okay, definitely top three, because I'm always so annoyed by MCU doing the thing where the hero is just facing themselves, but, you know, a villain outfit. Ant-Man, he faced the Hornet who could shrink into things. Iron Man, he faced the Iron Monger who was in an armor suit. Iron Man 2, he faced Whiplash who was in an armored suit. You know, it just, and it goes on and on like this. The MCU is rife of the, you know, it's, it's just full of it. And yeah, so it's nice to see a villain that's not at all like that whatsoever. And it only serves the movie better. It lets the performances really shine because there's actual stakes, actual stakes that don't feel confined to a hero's journey. It feels as though there are things outside of the hero's journey in this movie. And that almost gives it an expansive feel that the MCU should always have. Honestly, yes, the hero's journey is a classic. We're never going to lose that. But I think world building does a, a lot for MCU. If you have a good world building baseline, then people can latch on to your characters better. It's just, how fiction works most of the time. You don't need world building every single piece of fiction, I'm not saying that, but a good world is always interesting. Dune wasn't my favorite movie, but the world it built was absolutely fantastic and I'll be there for Dune too. So, you, you know, you kind of see that pattern in Guardians 3. Yes, there might not be Guardians 4, but whatever's next. For either, you know, Rocket or Star-Lord or Groot or whatever. Well, maybe not I am Groot season two. I'm probably not going to watch that. But whatever's next for parts of the team, I'm in. Because of this established backstory and character relationships that this movie has, you know, presented to me. Then, of course, I watched uh, Dark Side of the Ring. I don't really want to talk about it too much. It was about SummerSlam 2000. What a weird event. I don't really want to talk about the episode too much because what is there to talk about in a documentary? It's just a documentary. You either like it or you don't. You either like the style or you don't. And that's it. There's nothing to really criticize about a documentary. It's not like, oh, I learned so much. Nope, I never learned anything from documentaries. I just learn tidbits and random things. I don't get it all. It's just not how it works for me. So it's weird to criticize and say I love things. I just usually let the subject matter. Is what makes a documentary. So dark side of the ring is so weird because so it's a vice produced show. Correct? Correct. So (laughs) it's a vice produced show and it's on Hulu and on Hulu it has baked in ads. So I, in my, you know, modicum of wisdom thought, Oh, they're just ripping the show from the channel. And then I watched this week And that is literally confirmed as I had in one corner of the stream, you know, of the stream, there was one corner of credits rolling. Then on the bottom of that said up next dark side of the ring. And then dark side of the ring starts in the top right of the screen as if I'm just watching vice and flipping through cable. So my question is, does vice not have the raw files or are they selling their airtime or their commercial airtime? in a contract that says, oh, hey, you'll get commercials and streaming too. Is that how that works? Because I've never seen any other channel do this. I've never seen any other program do this other than Vice. And yet that's like cool, like Hulu's cool with that. Feels a little weird to say, hey, we're selling an ad-free version of this product or this streaming service, and yet we're gonna let shows bake in their own ads So that you get to see commercials, even though you literally paid not to see commercials. I, I, I simply don't understand that. Is that, is it my fault? (laughs) It's definitely Vice's fault, but does Hulu even know about this? Do they even review the things they're sent? The, the DVR recordings they're sent because it's just strange to me that Vice wouldn't have the raw file and then upload that. Instead, they record their own broadcast and then put the broadcast on Hulu? Ha I, you know, that's all I'm gonna say about Darkseid Ring, but what huh? I don't get it. I don't get it. That's just personally I don't get it. Then I watched uh What We Do in the Shadows, funny episode. I think it was two weeks ago. The episode was a ten out of ten, so it's kinda hard to beat that. But Funny episode. What we do in the shadows. Great show. We need more sitcoms like it. Finally, because I watch too much TV, the Twisted Metal TV show. Peacock original. 10 episodes. 30 minute episodes. Wow. I, I'm stunned by it. I'm, I'm stunned because I'm not sure how the writers got here from the starting point of Twisted Metal. The writers did this thing where instead of making a Twisted Metal show, they made a pre-Twisted Metal show. So instead of the Twisted Metal Tournament, which is what it is referred to as, you don't get that. And instead of Calypso making your wishes come true and being a djinn kinda evil genie and twisting your wish Twilight Zone style, you don't get that either. And instead of having a roster full of characters you know and like, whether it's from Black or 3 or 4 or 2 or 1, or maybe even the, uh, the RC little the Metal, you don't really get that. You get introductions to those characters. You get a scene with those characters. And I'm not even going to say a ton of those characters because it's maybe 3 And you get to see the cars of the characters you like, but you don't get the twist and metal you know. And I'm kind of confused on how that happens because this season does so much setup and it's all character development. It's all character development to the point that it's a problem, that it's a flaw because they're building these characters to a point where I'm kind of bored by the end of a show about car combat which i uh, you know i think okay it's funny that they made it into a comedy whatever Twisted metal can be funny it it's never really been comedic but it can be funny if that makes sense and i get that that was cool that was you know that was a welcome change i laughed at some of the jokes not not most of them but some of the jokes i laughed at and sweet tooth singing the thong song. Yeah, that was, that was funny, but there is just so much you can do with a specific set of characters without just kind of meandering along until the end. And it felt as though this big spoilers, big spoilers. It felt as though they were throwing a hail Mary and it's first and 10 and it doesn't make any sense. You know, they're doing a Hail Mary. It's first and 10. They're not even close. Actually, it's probably a more apt comparison would be they're throwing a Hail Mary. It's, you know, second and two yards and they're at the fucking <laughs> end zone. You know, they are, they are throwing a Hail Mary in hopes, in prayers that they get a season two because The Hail Mary that they threw was setting up the goddamn tournament that I just talked about not being in the show. Literally, the last episode, you get to see the roadkill car not driven by roadkill. You get to see the outlaw car not really, uh, whatever, it's a thing. (laughs) Uh, You get to see Darkseid not driven by Darkseid. And the only two accurate characters you get are Twister and Sweet Tooth. And that's, that's literally it. And then it shows up that, oh, they're making a tournament and Calypso's running a tournament. Calypso's a character you didn't get to see. He was just a voice for two seconds in episode five. So this fake Calypso is starting a tournament with racers from all across the nation. And that's the last 10 minutes of a twisted metal show. You literally, you, you set up a twisted metal show you took 10 episodes to do it and that's where i'm really confused because what even how'd you get here i it's crazy what they did to a game about car combat i personally personally envisioned a six episode show one through five are going to be each episode a different racer or a different driver Not racer, because they don't race. A different driver, different fighter. You get their backstory. You get some snippets of combat. You get their backstory. Snippets of combat. Backstory. Whatever. Rinse and repeat. Five episodes. Each one a different racer. Then the sixth episode, you have the big culmination fight, big finale, ba 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 shooting everywhere, triple rockets, freeze rays, all the good shit. And then you have Calypso fill the wish fulfill the wish, and their wish turns on their head, and they get fucked, you know, like Calypso does, and, like, it's just how it works. And yet, it's nothing at all. It feels as though that might be what season two is. It won't be, but it might be, and that's what they could have done. And instead, they said, what if we made uh, almost, almost a buddy cop, post-apocalyptic comedy with romance and a shit ton of character development on a based on a car combat game. And, you know, it's not even the greatest, even if you ignore Twisted Metal, it's not a great or fantastic show. It looks as though it's a sci-fi original from 2016. The CG also looks like a sci-fi original from 2016. Anthony Mackie, I like the guy, but it, just didn't mesh well i don't it didn't feel like a fully realized character yes there's a ton of character development and backstory but the character still felt hollow and vapid by the end of the show the only other the only character that i think they did justice was sweet tooth and that's weird because (laughs) it's weird that sweet tooth if you play towards the metal you know sweet tooth doesn't really like A character you come to know and love, he's just the guy with the cool clown car and he does things. Yet this show insisted that you know Sweet Tooth's backstory. You know why Sweet Tooth came about. You know how Sweet Tooth reacts to people. You know how Sweet Tooth reacts to the main characters, how he reacts to side characters, how he reacts to the main antagonist. And it's just very odd to me To do that for one character. Yes, we get Twister, who you know what? I'll say it was a fine adaptation of Twister. That's sure. That's Twister. Okay, that's Twister. But then you don't get to see any other classic racers. I keep saying racers. They don't race in Twisted Metal. You keep you don't see any of the classic fighters. You don't see Axel or Grimm or You know, even Minion. I really doubt we're going to get Minion, even though that's Calypso's whole backstory. I don't know how that's all going to work. It feels really misplaced is all. This show feels misplaced. It feels as though it wasn't made for anybody other than people who want a somewhat funny, post-apocalyptic Peacock original. Yeah, those are words I just put together, and you're supposed to like it because that's literally what this show is. It's not really... It's not a, an action show. It really isn't. I don't think there's that much action. It's, it's not a thriller in any way. So it's not an action show. It's not a thriller. It basically boils down to a comedy with, with some action set pieces. And it doesn't, it doesn't work for me, personally. I see it's getting positive reviews. I don't know why. Maybe I'm watching a different show. But the only thing I really appreciated... Was the fact that the world ended in two thousand two, so that they get to play songs like "Thong Song" and everybody in the club getting tipsy. That's the funniest part. Is when I get to hear everybody in the club getting sorry, everybody in the club getting tipsy. And that's not, that's not the show's fault. Does that make sense? That's not the show being funny. It's the fact that they're using an outdated banger of a hip hop song and that's the funny part. So I <laughs> I don't know. I don't think this show is good. A season 2 would be amazingly surprising <laughs> because I I just I just don't see this being the pop hit that they want. It's Peacock original. The sorry, the office the streaming service. It's not like it's on Netflix, and you're gonna have a hundred million people see the oh top ten in USA today. No, it's Peacock. You're gonna see the people who have it for the office go. Oh, I remember that game. Watch one episode and think, what is this? Because the first episode isn't great. The second episode is better than the first episode. So it, it's just it's weird because the pilot's not great. The ending's the only fine episode but I would argue that it's just as bad as the rest of the show because it feels as though you hit the finish line and yet they kept running and they kept running and they kept running and you're thinking, oh, they're they're kind of out of the stadium. Are they preparing for the next game? Because th- that's what it feels like. That's what it feels like, whether it's the cheap... I don't know, sex jokes that they always make all the time about everything. It just feels like it's in the gutter. <laughs> like the, the show's brain is in the gutter far too often and far too long. So yeah, that's my half-assed review of Twisted Metal. I didn't like it at all. I thought um, some things were fine. And that's it. It's definitely my most succinct review of it. It's definitely a Peacock original show. And that's all I'll say about it. So that was episode 12 of the Noah Davis Watchcast. I will be back on episode 13 next week. Same time, same place. Hopefully the same host. I'll see you guys.